Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics? They talk, we listen. I'm excited about my guest today and the conversation that will follow. This will be our first CFO and financial function expert on Heads Talk. He has spent over 15 years in this space, from being a speaker at CFO conferences to a writer in a number of journals and magazines. He resides in Denmark and today advises CFOs and financial function professionals in the new digital age. So yes, the CFO strikes back on Heads Talk. But before we get into that, here's a message from our sponsors. Business Partnering Institute is founded to help millions of finance and accounting professionals across the world crack the code on business partnering. We believe there's an untapped value potential in the finance function and business partnering is the means to let it loose. We help companies and individuals in the finance and accounting profession through thought leadership, learning and development programs and consulting on organisational change and people development. Visit us at businesspartneringinstitute.org. Heads Talk Podcast with your host Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. Anders Lou Lindbergh today is a partner, CMO, and the COO of the Business Partnering Institute. His organisation is all about the rebranding of the finance function and the CFO, especially in this digital age. He's an ardent follower of financial management and all the associated topics around it. A regular keynote speaker at CFO conferences, he imparts his knowledge, expertise and predictions in this space and has a huge following, not just on LinkedIn, but also in forums where he contributes. Anders has even hosted the largest CFO conference in Scandinavia with more than 600 participants. A known writer for many publications to include LinkedIn, Anders provides his insights on financial management, digital finance, fintech companies and financial rebranding. To add, Anders is extremely multi-talented and multilingual. He speaks Chinese, Danish, English, French and German and has a master in finance and accounting. Described by his peers and clients as a skilled expert in his field who always delivers excellence, he's also said to not be afraid to be the one that drives an initiative or change, a quality that many do not possess, aka leadership. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Anders to Heads Talk. Many thanks for being with us today. Thanks a lot for having me, Elaine, and thanks for the, uh, for the intro. Very excited yes. about this. Uh, uh, yes, I'm really glad to, to have you here. As I mentioned, um, we've not had um, experts on the CFO side of things, so it'd be, it'd be really great to get your insights. Um, I'm going to title this episode, The CFO Strikes Back, because I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, the CFOs are going through a, an identity crisis in this time, in this age. There is even an, an element of sensitivity with what you should call them. Some find it demeaning to be called a support function. Some would say that they are not even developed enough to be called business partners, etc. Let's look at the types of CFOs that are out there. You've defined six in the past. What are they? And what is this new social CFO all about? Thanks a lot for, uh, for really uh, laying out the dilemma here of the CFO role, Elaine. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a, a role that is in, in thriving development, especially because of pressures coming from both the outside in terms of investors and the business community, but also on the inside from CEOs mm -hmm. and other C-suite leaders. <coughs> so the CFO role has uh, evolved uh, quite a bit over the years as 
probably has other roles as well. So uh, a while back, I defined six types of CFOs. Actually, just uh, yesterday, I published two more. So maybe we can also get into oh, get into good. those. Uh, so the, the the first type is really what I call the the old-fashioned CFO. It's the CFO that you know manages the finances, the PLL, the balance sheet, and really just stays within that domain and doesn't really put any of the numbers or the finance function to work anywhere else in the business. Mm -hmm. Then there's the analytical CFO that really knows how to dig down into the numbers, identify trends and patterns, and, and can share that with, uh, with, with peers in the C-suite and other functions as well. But more like as a, I'm gonna send you an email with these insights uh, rather than I'm gonna stand in front of you and let's discuss how this is going to develop. <clears throat> The next level CFO is the strategic CFO. Clearly, CEOs and other C-suite members, they're working at the strategic level of the company. So simply just knowing how the company is performing is nice, but it really helps them really drive the company towards the future. That's where they need strategic insights. So here, the CFO becoming strategic really elevates his or her impact to the next level. Mm -hmm. Now you mentioned a lot about the digital age and, and clearly that is impacting businesses all around. And it's clear that if the CFO does not become what I call the tech savvy CFO and really understands how digital and technology is impacting not just the company from the inside, but also from the outside and develops new business opportunities, then you will clearly uh, quickly lose your seat at the table. So understanding technology and digital is of course critical for for today's CFOs. Mm -hmm. The next level again CFO is what I call the disruptive CFO. Uh, going five, six years back, disruptive uh, disruption was a big topic in business and you saw a lot of disruptive business models coming in and this is still being talked about. So the disruptive CFO is someone that always looks at what comes next. What can we do to, to stay ahead of competition? It's not someone that just stays in the, in, in the meeting room and just waits for others to come with their thoughts about what should the company be in the future. Mm -hmm. Now, none of these things really matters unless the CFO understands how to come across, build relationship with peers and also other functions and share all this knowledge. And that's why the notion of the social CFO really popped up as a CFO that can build these relationships and moves with ease uh, among uh, people and, and peers and, and at all levels of the company from the board to really the, you can say, the, the employees on the ground. And if you think about finance professionals in the historical context, they're not the ones thought of as the most social beings in the company. Rather, they're probably thought of as people that, you know, stay in their cubicle and do the work they need. And then they send an email or give a phone call, but, but that's it. You rarely see them. Mm -hmm. The social CFO is seen and heard and making a big impact because he or she leverages all the previous types that, that has really evolved in this role. Because it is an evolutionary model. It's not a revolution where one step replaces the previous one. Mm -hmm. Even a social CFO needs sometimes to be an old-fashioned CFO. You cannot just forget it or leave it at the door. Mm -hmm. so, so those were the six types that, uh, that I published back in, in spring. And, and you know, because the role keeps evolving, once I shared these, uh, these types, a lot of good discussion came up uh, and some more types were also suggested. So, so that led me to, to the next two level CFOs. And especially the first one, I would say, 
in the, the crisis we have gone through and to a large extent are still going through in many parts of the world with the pandemic, the agile CFO is an emerging type, a CFO that can always adapt to the situation, keeps their cool and can help the business leverage the, the situation and of course sometimes just salvage the situation depending on how the business is, uh, is hit by the circumstances around them. So they're always fast and, and quick to act when things happen. So that was the seventh type. And then the eighth type, which I think is an, uh, a, a true emerging type for the future, it's what I call the sustainable CFO. So a CFO that looks to say, how can we run our company in a sustainable manner going forward? Tapping into the sustainability agenda as an opportunity rather than a threat that needs to be eliminated. So this is a huge topic with uh, the climate uh, debate uh, raging uh, these years and probably will continue to in the next 20, 30, 40 years. The sustainable CFO looks to take a leading role in moving the business forward on this agenda. Mm -hmm. No, that's interesting. I, I assume if I move on, I, I'm assuming that these are sort of different hats that a CFO would, would wear because one would be probably a strategic CFO that sometimes more of a social CFO, right? Am I right in saying that? Yeah, ab absolutely. I would say that the social CFO in particular is probably an ingredient that makes all of them better, right? So you can probably be the other seven types but not have as big of an impact if you don't have the social element. Mm -hmm. Whereas the other uh, types are more like building blocks that you can put together and say, you don't necessarily have to be super strong in all of them. Mm -hmm. But at least in today's age where digital is taking over many of the transactional things that are done within companies, if you're not social and able to build relationships, you're not gonna influence anything. So no matter how many other building blocks that you have, the social element, is what really gives them their impact and their influence. So that's the leading one. That's what came across with me when I think when I read your paper. I felt that the social one was sort of the leading one that sort of stood out the most. And, and that's why I sort of separated in the question itself when I asked you, what is the social CFO all about? And I suspect um, part of the identity questioning um, is due to the, the digital age. Um, away from the CFO, what C-suite do you think should drive digital transformation in an organization and why? So it's clear that digital transformation is an enabler of what the company wants to do. And it, you know, any digital initiative you have must be led by the business. So you cannot just say, okay, let's let the CIO run our digital transformation. He or she will not necessarily know what, what do we need to do as a business to, to keep moving forward. So it has to be a business led project. And of course, that means that any kind of C-suite member can take the lead on this, but I would expect all of them to really drive it within, within their own area. But in many companies, this is, this is really a, a CEO level topic where if the CEO is not driving this forward, it doesn't get the impact that, that it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I, I've asked this question before on Head's talk and you've alluded to the role of the CIO. Um, uh, so I, I really would like your input on this, wearing a CFO's hat, if you can, to answer this question. Um, with regards to the newbies on the executive C-suite table, um, i.e. the chief digital officer or the chief data officer, have they or even the CIO marginalized 
the CFO in terms of rankings and proximity to the CEO in decision making in this digital age. Effectively, if the role of the CFO was a stock, would you say its value has gone down since the advent and rise of the CDOs and or CIOs? Has the finance function lost its nuclear position in a corporation or is this an opportunity for CFOs to reaffirm their status? And how would they do that? So to me, this is a huge opportunity for the CFO to reaffirm their status, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, the digital transformation enables the company to do so many things that could not be done or at least not be done in an efficient manner before. So this allows the CFO to elevate him or herself to another level in the company. So many CFOs, if you, you know, talk about the old fashioned type, are more transactional in nature and just make sure the numbers are there and it's high quality and you know, we have a good relationship with auditors and mm -hmm. investors and other things, but it's, it's not really putting it to use for the business. Now, digital is a huge enabler of putting all this data and information uh, to use in the business. I don't really see a chief data officer or a CIO doing this but they are, of course, a huge, uh, a huge enabler of this. So just like the CFO needs to be a, a business partner to, to the CEO and the other C-suite members, so must the CIO, but from a more technical perspective, I would say. And of course, you know, I come from the finance perspective, so I'm biased in a finance way. And if you ask a, an IT or a CIO, they will probably see it differently, but at least I see this as a huge opportunity for the CFO. Of course, if the CFO is not able to grab this opportunity, they will be marginalized and their impact will be lost. Yes, yes, indeed. Okay, let's change direction a little bit. Let's talk about COVID. Um, COVID has accelerated online and digitalization, no question about that. What else has COVID done to impact the role of the, the CFO, albeit positive or negative? Can you provide us with examples? Yeah, so generally speaking, when we hit a huge crisis and you can draw parallels to the financial crisis 10 years ago when we hit a few uh, a huge crisis finance is typically thrust into the center of everything that goes on in the company mm -hmm. why is that it's because companies are struggling they are suffering they are not sure if they are going to survive mm -hmm. so the other c-suite members are looking towards the cfo and say how are we doing? Do we have enough cash? Can we still meet our obligations with the bank? Mm -hmm. uh, what does the forecast look like? Are we you know, even gonna have revenue the next six months and so on and so forth? So the CFO is thrust into the center of attention. And this pushed the CFO at a tipping point or maybe even a breaking point to say, if he or she can deliver in this huge crisis, the impact and influence of the CFO is, is elevated and magnified significantly. And of course, the other way around, if finance and the CFO is not able to deliver, the CFO will be marginalized and most likely be let go once we are in a more normal uh, normal territories. So the CEOs of the world, they really get to see if the CFO and their finance function are able to steer their company safely through the crisis. And I think we saw the similar thing in the financial crisis and we saw uh, in finance a huge uh, functional development agenda from 2010 and the next coming years where we said, okay, we had no influence during the financial crisis. We were not able to deliver what the CEOs want. Now we need to transform. 
So you saw a huge transformation regime coming, uh, coming after the financial crisis. And what we're seeing right now is exactly the same. And of course, it's just starting now because we are still in the crisis. We see so many companies coming to us and saying, okay, we really need to develop our finance function now and elevate the impact because otherwise we're not there anymore. Mm, okay. Um, so still with COVID, um, and I, I want you to expand on, perhaps on the traits of the CFO. Some organizations in 2020 have gone to near zero revenue overnight with this pandemic. We've all heard the war stories. Um, what does a CFO do and or say to reassure the executive table? What traits are needed by a CFO at this time? So the very key thing is to understand your run rate in terms of simple things as expenses and cash, right? So how long can you keep the company running in this going? Mm -hmm. That will give you an idea. Okay, maybe that's three months. For some, it might have been three weeks or it could be six months. Depending on how long you can keep things running, you will take different kinds of actions. Typically, of course, you move towards cost reduction actions and say, okay, you know, unfortunately, we got to lay off 10% of the staff or everyone needs to take a pay cut of 10% or something like that mm -hmm. to increase your run rate, right? At some point, you run out of initiatives to do and the CFO will figure out together with banks, bondholders, shareholders, whoever it might be to figure out how can we keep the company running. And of course, you know, every stakeholder in that discussion will have an opinion about whether the company is worth keeping running or not. Mm -hmm. um, and so it is really down to the survival of the company. And that's where the CFO really needs to, to step up and figure out, does this make sense or not? And if not, what do we then do? Okay. Let's expand on that um, a little bit with, with a scenario. Um, now let's um, look at an interesting situation. Um, COVID has increased remote learning tenfold. Individuals have even found virtual channels and online options that are free and convenient. Books, textbooks can be viewed and shared online, no need to buy the physical product individually. Education establishments have had to uh, promote and provide tuition online and learning remotely when the physical channels are not open to them. No need for individual students to spend on accommodation or physical things needed in this situation. This would adversely affect the educational institution's business model going forward. Revenue streams will change, some will close. How does a bricks and mortar organization with their fees compete with that? Do you see this as a, a future trend? not just in the education establishments or other organizations, newspaper companies, uh, music industry, that sort of thing. What is the position of a CFO and in turn the organization in this situation if they cannot predict the cash flows in and out? What does a CFO in, a, in an institution equip themselves with to make sure they maintain some kind of revenue and competitive edge for their organization? Yeah, so, so if we just take the, the business scenario that, that, that you're putting out there, Lane, I mean, if you look at education, for instance, uh, with, with online and remote and so on, it, it's, it's very difficult to truly learn something by just reading a book. Of course, there are some technical areas where you can, where you can learn and you can pick up how to use a tool, for instance, through watching a YouTube video. But to truly learn and to change behavior and do something different 
it will still require, require the interaction with skilled facilitators, uh, let's call it professors, teachers, and, and others to, to really get that learning. I mean, so we are, for instance, we're in the learning and development space. Mm -hmm. We are seeing right now a inflow of companies that want to work with us to do learning and development programs for their finance function. That tells me, at least within certain spaces, that there's, you know, there might be free content available. And they look at me, I put out free content on a daily basis, but they know if they need to get behind this and really accelerate their journey, they still need quality products, which many educational uh, institutions can provide. But it's of course also a wake up call for them to say, we have to improve our service and probably do things better, different, at a higher quality. All right, so that's, that's the business scenario. But if you are a CFO and you're looking at your business model changing, if you are a disruptive CFO, you've already seen this coming. Mm. You've already had the discussions with other C-suite members to say, how can we change our business model to go with the trends that we see in the market or even let's say consumers or student behaviors, depending on what kind of industry that, that you're in, so that we stay ahead of it and maybe even are the ones that are redefining it. Because if we can redefine it, we are way ahead of our competitors who might be the ones going out of business. So that's what a disruptive CFO will really do, right? If you're only just trying to, you know, make some forecasts or try to predict what will happen, that's fine and nice, but it's not really having that strategic disruptive impact that we want CFOs to have. Hmm. I'm assuming based on the very first question and the answer you gave, the, the, the CFO or the hat CFO needs to wear for this answer is he needs to be the disruptive CFO as well as the agile CFO. That should come, that should be the, mo the main qualities that an individual needs, surely. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it just highlights the, the need for the CFOs to be able to wear so many different hats depending on the situation needed. And of course, it also uh, illustrates the need for the CFO to develop a finance team that can help him or her do this because it's impossible for anyone to be experts in all of this. Mm. So as a CFO, you probably want to choose a few of them. I'd say definitely pick the social one, but also some of the others and be a real expert there and then build a team that can help you maybe in the old fashioned way, the analytics and maybe even on the tech side and just provide you with input that you can use in discussions with other C-suite members. Don't mm. try to be everything for everyone, then you will yeah. fail on, on, on everything. Indeed, indeed. Um, uh, during these transformational years, uh, the, the CFOs are looking at um, avenues to maintain an income stream or even get rid of assets to reduce costs. You've, you've talked about that earlier. Um, are the organizations with the more healthy credit facilities, cash flows and positions in the marketplace, led by the CFOs, of course, zapping up struggling competitors and smaller players in order to remain relevant to maintain their revenue streams. How inventive must CFOs be as a result of this pandemic or ever-changing situations, digitalizations, etc.? How much of their M&A hat, um, if you like, do they need to wear? The best thing a CFO can ever do for his or her company and the CEO is to make sure they have as many good viable options as possible. And it's clear the more funding, like credit facilities and other things that you have available, the more options you can put on the table. And obviously when we're in a crisis that we are right now, the strong will either acquire or push out 
the week. Mm -hmm. So of course we are seeing uh, uh, quite some M&A activity at the moment. I'm not an expert in this, but but we are see, seeing quite a lot of this activity because you know even in crisis, a lot of opportunities arises all the time. It might be different opportunities compared to when you are in the good times, but these opportunities arise all the time. So that's what a CFO must do. Make sure the company has the strength to leverage as many of these opportunities as possible. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I'm fascinated by your first answer. So I'm always sort of linking the type of CFO, CFOs to the answers. So I'm thinking, is that more of a strategic CFO hat he's wearing in this, in this space? It's, it's again, it's a many things, right? Because uh, strategic could be, you know, simple, bold on options to your company. Whereas mm -hmm. for instance, disruptive would be looking to say, okay, today we are here with our business model. In the future, I see us moving into a completely different space. So maybe we need to acquire some players in that space now at mm -hmm. a cheaper price to be ready to make this move over the next three to five years. Because I mean, if you can buy innovators at a cheap price it's probably always better and faster compared to doing the innovation yourself which obviously typically takes uh, takes longer time so the cfo really needs to uh, you know look at all these opportunities and say what is the best course of action right now what is the value of doing a bolt-on acquisition versus a, uh, a, a, a a innovative acquisition more for the future how do we weigh out these options against each other that's where the CFO really needs to, to step in. And that's, you know, that's to me is very much in a strategic space to say, we have options, what's the value of these options and how do we make sure that the options we pick get sufficient funding to actually survive and not just be smothered by other bad initiatives. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's good. Um, let's look at some of the work you do today with the BPI, the Business Partnering Institute. Um, are you trying to rebrand the finance function to a softer name such as finance business partner or just plain business partner and why? Absolutely, we're, we're trying to rebrand the finance function. I'm not sure I would, I would call this softer as such. It's more to say to really have an impact and influence in the company, we probably have to work on the softer side of ourselves, i.e. our influencing skills. So our ability to build relationships with other business stakeholders, the social element, our mm -hmm. ability to understand the business, the business model, the strategy, and, and have a commercial acumen. And last but not least, our ability to communicate our messages, our insights to people outside of finance in a clear, concise way. Because at the end of the day, you know, we can be as insightful as we are, but if we cannot get it across, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. We have no impact. Our influence is zero. Right? So that's, that's what we need to work on. And, and, and traditionally, finance has not been strong in this area. I often say that we felt like we've had so many insights, but no one was willing to listen. Mm. Well, it's probably because we're not able to communicate in a, in a language that they understand and build solid relationships so they actually wanted to listen to us and, uh, and, and then go, go from there. So finance has had way too little influence in the past. And you know, with, with the digital movement and the, all the data analytics that are coming in, we have the opportunity to develop so many different insights that senior, suite, uh, senior executives can use to, to improve their decision-making, but it requires that we can influence their decisions, otherwise we're getting nowhere. All right, so you are rebranding the finance function. What will they look like in, in 10 to 15 years time? What is your prediction, Anders? 
Yeah, so uh, I think probably 20 years ago, PwC, uh, the big uh, big four audit firm, came out with a simple uh, simple model. It was a pyramid that had uh, four layers. It had transactional work in finance. Then it had some uh, analytical work in finance, some controlling, and some decision support. Mm -hmm. If we look today, a lot of the transactional work has either been automated or offshore to some uh, some service center. Same thing is happening with the analytics, either automated or offshore. Controlling, either automated or offshore, which leaves the decision support at the top. And this is where we take everything that all the three previous layers has produced of insights and use it for the good of decision-making in the company. And I think this is just the movement that will continue so that if we cannot provide this decision support finance in a large uh, context becomes uh, irrelevant. There will still be some legal requirement, some compliance requirement that we need to take care of, but largely this is all automated. So we're just talking about a few people. So it is much more about being this business partner that can take the insights, influence decisions for the better, because that's where the impact come from. And you know, 10, 15 years out, of course, you never know, maybe even the decision support bit has been automated. I always think back to this, uh, this uh, Star Wars movie, Rogue One, where you know, the, the rebels get into the, to, to the spaceship as they go on out onto a very dangerous mission. And this robot is sitting there and say, if you take this rebel along with us on the journey, our chance of succeeding are close to zero. So I suggest you don't do it, right? So this robot can interpret all information available to say, this is probably gonna be a bad idea. So you're mm -hmm. thinking this is the finance person, finance robot sitting there advising the leaders what to do. And of course the leaders can make up their, their opinion about this. So you can easily imagine, imagine a scenario like, like this as well, which just means that finance will have to find uh, an even, even higher ground to stand on to remain relevant. Oh, so, so we might have an AI finance function in the yeah, exactly, exactly. I even heard, uh, I, I didn't speak to the person myself, but I, I spoke to some other credible sources who had spoken a few years back to uh, one of the world's leading experts within AI. And this expert said, you know, give me uh, $5 billion and I'll automate the full finance function of a large oil and gas major. Now, probably that price tag is a bit too steep, but it tells you something about Hmm, this is actually possible. So, you know, with, with, uh, with, uh, with Moore's law and all that, we know that in the future, it'll probably become cheap enough for everyone to be able to do it. And so that is, that is what we have to, you know, that is the framework we have to work within and say, how do we remain relevant in such a world? All right. So you're giving us some ideas then. So it's a matter of wait and see. Anders Lulimberg, many thanks for your time and insights. You're welcome. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, or wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executive decision makers and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.